Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Today we're going back to my very first semester in college. We're in a single classroom, a movie that was divided into three acts, gave me a new perspective. I'm joined by Alyssa Mecha to talk about the 2012 Derek C.M. France legacy-defining masterpiece, The Place Beyond the Pines. All right, today's a very special episode of the film podcast. I have Alyssa Mecha here with me. We're going to be talking about Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, you were my intro to filmmaking professor at I, SUNY Broom. I was. Um, I was. A lot of the Orion Valley Productions members were in that class. Casey, yes. Chris, and Sully all were in there. Yes. That's a very, very great place to start. You were, you were some of the best students. Too. Oh, wow. Well, very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I first saw this movie in that class. I had heard a lot about it. And I knew it was something that I wanted to see because I just, it, it I heard like I read a lot of reviews about it, um, but I never got the opportunity to. Um, and I think with any kind of work like reading or movies, it's always good to watch them in a class because then you're just going to force yourself um, <laughs> to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. When did you first discover this movie and why did you um, pick it? <clears throat> I saw it shortly after it was released. Um, and. I think the reason that I picked it to talk about today um, was because I feel like it's really underrated. Um, not a lot of people have seen it. It got virtually no award recognition. Um, and I think that that's really unfortunate because it is such a beautiful film for a lot of reasons. And um, I always show it in my film class because I find that as I come back to it, every semester, every year, no matter how many times I've screened it, I always see something new or um, you know, find something new about it that renews my interest again, and I never get sick of watching it. When, when I was in your class freshman year, you showed us Place Beyond the Pines, Pie, and the Tree of Life. Yeah. Seemingly very different movies in their own mm -hmm. right. Why those? I always wondered why those three for for that particular. Guy? Is it like do they have something significant in each one, or is there kind of like a, a through line in all of them? Like why those three? So, as you know, when you took my class, I try to structure my class into three segments. Um, the kind of the the first chunk is really talking about uh, cinematography, getting a handle for how to use the camera, how to frame things up, having an eye for a shot. Um, and then we kind of move into sound work. And then finally, at the end of the semester, we talk a little bit more about editing and how to bring it all together. Um, so it's kind of a mix of creative and technical. And so I always try to pick films that are going to be really good examples of whatever it is that we're talking about at that particular point in the semester. Um, and I kind of have this like rotating crop of films that I kind of come back to. Um, and I think it's it's important for film students to watch films, yeah. <laughs> to yeah, learn about sense. it, you know, um, and not just short films either. It's, it would be really easy to show just a bunch of different short films, but I think it's important to watch feature-length films and to really look at 
all that's involved in making a production, making, you know, a piece of art. Um, and, you know, I always, I always make my students sit through the credits, mm-hmm. which most of them hate. But I think that <laughs> I think it's really important for them to see, too, just how many people have their hands in it. You know, when we talk about a film, we talk about the director, the cinematographer. Sometimes you talk about the producer. And it seems like it's just this kind of like small group of people that really influence the film itself. And while that is true, there are, you know, tons of people involved in a film production that size. And I think it's important to like, you know, pay attention to all of the smaller parts that really go into making the whole production work. They did the same thing when I went to uh, when I went to Ithaca. You went to Ithaca as well. When I took Hollywood American last semester, they always did that. Sit through the credits. Uh, and a lot of times the movies that we watched, they were like, pay attention during the credits because there's like special things or mm-hmm. something like that. So we like we watched like Top Gun, like the, the song is going on or uh, like Nashville. It's the same thing. Uh, yeah. It's it's very important definitely to think about all the people involved because a lot of people are involved in no matter like the film size and they do a lot of work mm-hmm. um, especially for this movie um, I like that you said it's an it's an underrated movie because I think this movie is a perfect like anytime someone's like what's an underrated movie what's a movie that I think everyone should watch this is definitely one of the ones on the list I usually my go-to one is in Bruges which sure. we'll probably talk about uh, uh, later on in the on the show but uh Place Beyond the Pines is like it seems like it you know it came out it, it was released at TIFF Toronto International Film Festival 2012 um, and then got a limited release in March of 2013 so there was that space of time and uh, and it was it seemed like it was very well praised at TIFF but why do you think that a movie like this didn't get the recognition it deserved you know I I'm not I'm not ever sure why some films get the attention that they do and others don't. And especially this film, I mean, given the kind of just incredible cast lineup that you have in it, I mean, these really seasoned, award-winning actors doing an amazing job on screen, you know, that kind of boggles my mind. Um, But I guess, you know, some films just miss the mark or don't come Mm. out at the right time of year to you know and then they aren't fresh for people when they're thinking about you know award season and i don't know it's just (laughs) part part of the business i guess let's talk about the cast this is a stacked cast it has it we have ryan gosling bradley cooper eva mendez um dane dehan ray liotta ben mendelson mahershala ali and rose byrne and bruce greenwood all and all of them coming in at various points throughout the movie i don't think like no one is in it for the entire movie like everyone has their own um part in it i think the performances are one of the standout of this movie it's like i mean I'm a huge Ryan Gosling fan, and this is right off of Ryan Gosling. He did, you know, Drive. He was nominated for an Oscar yeah. for Half Nelson, and then he comes on to do this. And a lot of people joke about this movie and Drive, where he doesn't say that much, but he has this really great quality about him as an actor, where he can like tell a story without really doing any dialogue. He's really good at showing emotions. <laughs> I think that one of the things that I really love about this film is that. There are so many shots that the camera just sits on a character's face. And really, even if they're not speaking, you get to watch them go through this progression of emotions. They, 
you know, will go, you know, you can see that they're processing something or really working through something and you get to see it all in their face and they're not even speaking any lines. And the camera, while normally in that kind of uncomfortable space would cut to some kind of B-roll or cut to reverse shot or whatever, it doesn't. It just sits there mm-hmm. for this like long period of time and it's so intimate that you get to like watch all of that happen yeah it's a very intimate movie yeah. like overall I, I remember I do remember you showing it to us like specifically saying how amazing the cinematography was uh, the cinematographer on this movie was um, Sean Bobbitt um, mm-hmm. I don't know what else he's done off the top of my head. Do you um, know? Yeah, I wrote it down, actually. 12 Years a Slave, Hunger, uh, Shame, which I don't know if you've seen. Shame. I haven't seen it, but it's with... Steve McQueen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have seen 12 Years oh, a Slave. Oh, uh, Shame with uh, uh, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's mm. so, And that's another one where it just allows you to kind of sit in this really uncomfortable space that's what know, for heard, a long yeah. time. <laughs> it's really great. But I think that that's the beauty of this film cinematography is that, um, you know, I think we're so accustomed to everything being cut really fast these days. Everything is cut really quickly. Mm-hmm. And this film, while there are very short segments where the pacing is much faster, the majority of the film is really kind of these like long, slow shots. And I I think it forces you to kind of step into that world with a character because you're not taken out of it with the stylistic choices. Mm. You know, you're really just kind of put in that space. Like you're just sitting next to them on the couch or whatever. There's a great uh, balance between handheld cam, Mm -hmm. dolly shots, and tripod shots throughout this movie. It uses them all so well. It's like the... I've been watching a lot of Friday Night Lights. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen that show, but it's it's a Peter Berg show, so it's a lot of handheld. Mm-hmm. It's basically all handheld, and it's very, you know, have the camera mm-hmm. across the room and zoom in on someone really close, and then it looks even more shaky. And it's not bad, but it's like here in this handheld, it feels even more sturdy, and then they use the dolly, like, super well. Yeah. Like, especially that one shot where it's in after the house, and it, like, swoops in on the side when the cops are coming in. Yeah. Um, and it's such a great balance. It shows it has chaos. It has emotion. It's just mm-hmm. everything is just coming so well together just by the look of it um and there's obviously so many things to the story um for those of you who haven't seen it uh place beyond the pines is about um well i don't even know if i want to say how much of it is is about just if you haven't seen it i mean we're gonna get into spoilers but i remember you said it's really great to go into this movie not knowing a lot about it yes and i there's not many movies like that like i i feel like movies like that are super special because like sometimes the trailer gives too much away for bigger movies and they want to get people in with something like this the whole movie there's so many things that happen about it right um i think i mean you could say that it's about you just like it's kind of like a heist film to mm-hmm. start you know you say bank robbery film, yeah whatever um but I think overall, it's so much more about like, you know, the internal struggle to do what's right versus doing what's easy, you know, and, and it's kind of this war within each of the characters throughout the whole film. And are we allowed to do spoilers? At yeah, this we'll point? get into spoilers. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that the film totally sets you up for one thing, too. And mm-hmm. then about a third of the way it becomes something totally different Mm -hmm. and then another third of the way it becomes something totally different again Mm -hmm. and um, that's one of the things that I love is that it doesn't worry about you know making major sacrifices to Mm -hmm. certain parts of the story to bring it to a whole other level 
Um, and I think that that's actually really brave on their part. It's very brave, yeah. And it's you go into it expecting like the Ryan Gosling movie. It's about you know he is a um, his name is handsome Luke Lanton, who's a, a motorcycle uh, stuntman in the circus, and he's uh, he finds out that he has a child with Eva Mendez, so he leaves the circus, and in order to make money, he starts robbing banks with Ben Mendelsohn, and Bradley Cooper is the cop who kind of pursues him. Which is that is a very short kind of quick, very vague synopsis <laughs> that you can give someone, yeah. but there's so many hidden things, and mm-hmm. like I I love it, and that's kind of one of the things that this is a very inter- I, this is a very different comparison but like there haven't been many movies that have done that where you have a premise and you go in thinking it's going to be one thing and there's so many surprises and setups the most recent thing that I can think of and again completely different than this movie is like Avengers Endgame Mm -hmm. where they took out so much from the story of the trailer and the whole movie there were so many surprises as it came in and the same with this movie Um, does that is it still surprising to you when you come back and think of the surprises of the story structure like I mean how many times have you seen this movie (laughs) Um, I have watched this movie at least twice a year for the last five years. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> so quite quite a few times I've seen this film. Um, I think I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised. I'm so familiar with the plot at this point and and the sequence of events, but I am always pleased with it. Like it still excites me. It still makes me really happy as a filmmaker to like watch it happen so despite knowing that it's coming i still get really jazzed to like (laughs) watch the things happen that i know are coming it's almost like i i it's it ramps it up for me because i know it's coming yeah you know i know what to look for and i'm like i can really pay attention now because i know Mm -hmm. and i think the first time that i watched it i was so just like shocked at some of the plot turns that happened that I think I probably missed some things because it's so jarring when it happens Mm -hmm. that like I think maybe I didn't necessarily pay attention to everything because I was still you know half of the way through the film I was reeling at what happened at you know 50 minutes so this movie is two hours and 20 minutes long and it does a really really great job of pace not only pacing itself but doing a three-act structure basically i was actually talking to my brother and my mom about this last night because my brother has seen it my mom hasn't and i was trying to explain it to her without giving anything away and my brother said something that was really interesting she said it was like he said it was it was like one story told in kind of three separate movies in a way so each act could be its own story and it really is and like i think the first act of this movie and we're gonna get into structure is like one of the best you know like 50 45 minute short films like ever it's so good like you could end the film there Mm -hmm. and i would be okay with that (laughs) (laughs) like it's so good as its own piece it doesn't necessarily need the rest of it the rest of it is just kind of like icing on the cake in my opinion you know they do such a good job of like character development and kind of taking you on this whirlwind of emotions that the Mm -hmm. characters go through and I think it's so strong just by itself that you know I don't think you would even have to continue but it's great that they do oh yeah and there's so many things to like about this first act I mean just the way that it opens too Mm -hmm. so good I mean you hear they have the production logos going on you hear um, Ryan Gosling like flipping a knife open and it's this like like five minute tracking Mm -hmm. shot as he goes through the carnival I just think that that's such a great world setup because I mean you see this guy he's like in his own area flipping a knife around and I think it seems like 
Derek C. France, the director and co-writer, is a very is very good at improvisation, and he has been on record to say he never learned how to write a script. And I think the script is great in this movie, but he, there's clearly a lot of times where it's like, let's just let's try this, and it seems like the but this was so well like executed in that we see him walk through the entire carnival to get to where he is, and then he goes into the the ball with the motorcycles and it's all going around. It's just such a great setup because it shows like where he is in life at that particular moment and what he's doing. And everyone idolizes him, but there's there's so much that we don't know about him. Yeah. And I, I just I just love that. And again, can we just take a little while though to like appreciate the beauty of that opening scene? Oh yeah. It's one of my favorite opening scenes of any film. It's so good. There's ever. like no dialogue. It's one either. continuous shot, and you literally don't even see Ryan Gosling's face until he's like in the tent. Oh yeah, to you're perform. right. Mm-hmm. It's like so when the when it first opens, you know, you only see like his torso, and then you're following the back of him all the way into this tent, and then it's like you know he's the money maker and you don't even show his face for the first like four minutes of the film (laughs) yeah yeah and he's he's got blonde hair that's mm -hmm. the side plot yeah i don't know how i feel about ryan gosling with blonde hair blonde hair but it was like it was the 80s yeah you know we'll we'll give him that yeah um and it's but it's one like continuous shot that moves through all of this like you know mixed lighting which is really hard to predict and work with on camera and you know it as he's moving through this world, there's even like this one point where a girl steps out with like a, a instant camera or not an instant camera, a, a disposable camera, and she like takes his picture, you know, <laughs> and you see her like cl- rolling the little film wheel to advance the film, and it's it's all of these different things kind of popping out at him and happening in this space, and it's so chaotic, but he is like this like rock in the middle of it as he's kind of meandering through this world of 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 chaos and light and sound and the sound design is just incredible for the whole film Uh absolutely the way that the score is mixed with you know the sound the the way that you know you hear the little things like you know him flipping the pocket knife i i love all of that Mm -hmm. And, and it builds so i always love when films do uh like soft noise automatically to loud Mm -hmm. but it's like a jarring switch that's needed and also this is something that I 100% definitely didn't think of just in this moment as you were describing this scene when you said he's kind of meandering through this area it's kind of like at this point in his life he's just kind of roaming through the Mm -hmm. world and that he's with this traveling circus and then this life event happens where he finds out that he has a child and everything just kind of stops and he's like staying kind of where he is Mm -hmm. um I just kind of thought of that. Um, and also what I really love about this movie is that there's a lot of unknown, but it's done really well. So like, there's a lot that we don't know about Ryan Gosling's character that we don't need to know. And there's a lot that we don't know about the ending of the movie and where everyone ends up going, which I think is just so great. I love in movies when there's ambiguity, but used well. And it kind of like gives you yeah. like the audience like, okay, so where... And it also just shows like if we're thinking that way then we're invested and you've done a good job. I think at least for the first act of the film, they don't spoon feed you information. Information is revealed, you know, kind of very slowly, almost as Luke's character, you know, figures things out. You're kind of getting that information too. But they don't, there's not a lot of dialogue surrounding it. It's really minimal dialogue and it just kind of, happens organically and I think that that's one of the the beautiful things about that first act is that it doesn't it doesn't treat the audience like you're stupid Mm -hmm. you know yeah so I I was thinking while I was watching this that I feel like the the child subplot or I guess like that 
that plot point has been is used a lot in movies. It's kind of like the, oh no, what am I going to do? I have a kid now, you know, kind of moment. But I think it's used. What it, what it does really well here is that it's ne- not necessarily the main plot of this um, movie as a whole. It but it sends Gosling on this really really great whirlwind of an adventure or like emotional journey. And I've always loved that scene where this is like one of my favorite moments for him as an actor is when he's in the church and he's just so out of his element watching um, his son being christened and that it seems like it, it almost seems like he can't be a part of his life. He has this realization moment and he's just like letting out tears. And I also, did you see um first man, the mm-hmm. movie with yeah. Neil Arch? Yeah. There's also like, I felt like there was like an homage to that scene when he, when his daughter passed away and it has this, it's the yeah. same shots like close on and he's just, just lets it out. He's so good at giving emotions like that. Like he yeah. has such a wide um, uh, range of emotion that he can give. And that scene is like such a good one because it's just, it sets everything up. And that is the moment I feel like that, you know, you care about him like as a character. Right. Like he's not just this kind of like rough kind of character from the outside. You know, he, he feels very deeply about his relationship with his son and it makes just bite all of the bad things that he eventually does it kind of endears him to you as a character you know and i love too that he he doesn't have that moment of panic that he has a son he finds out he has a son and he just kind of like steps right into it like without fear or at least apparent fear you know and he's just like okay this is this is it now this is where we're going and i kind of love that because it doesn't make that plot line into this big thing that really carries the story it's still very much luke's story mm-hmm. um so yeah i i do i do appreciate that about this film i do love that he just jumps right in he's he, there's mm-hmm. like really no hesitation there's like confusion as to why he wasn't told earlier but then right. he's just like or i i have to give up this job and i have to provide yeah. for my son and that scene is immediately under, like just uh, automatic switch to when he's on the motorcycle right and with the really really great um camera like the front of the of the bike going and then it's in like all the way at the front of him and then it's on ben mendelson on a dolly like and then the score mm-hmm. like it just takes over like all of the natural sound drops out and it's like this very almost tr- like um psychedelic kind of experience because you're everything is moving so fast and it's just a blur and you're cutting really quickly between these two things and you hear this this kind of like gentle plucking of some kind of stringed instrument and it's ominous and really just like that's one of my favorite scenes in the film it's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and i like it like it's cut with like this loud like it's like zooms in quietly and then a loud guitar and then cut it's like i feel like a lot of people would watch that scene on the motorcycle where it's like a lot of people would be like i like kind of get sick when you're watching it but i feel like it's handled so well because it's like this moment of stillness and then just chaos you know and and, you know we we meet ben mendelson this was like the first thing i had seen him in and he's it's he's so good like he's a great friend and he's also kind of crazy but he's also grounded he's kind of all over the place but he he, that's how he gets the idea of robbing banks and i feel like that's one of the things where the bank robbing thing is just the first act of this movie and those scenes are so well done and they're so charged with energy like i mean they have the energy on the bike 
the, those scenes where he's riding and then you know he he's going they like they're planning it out like when they're planning it out it's like you're gonna go to the teller you want to go to the oldest person if not go to the young guy or something like that it's almost yeah. like intercut with like them actually going to scout out the location and it, it seems like that is what gives the heist movie vibe off but yeah. it's like I, I almost have to con- commend them for yeah for giving that level of bravery of making it seem like it's one thing while and then there's so many other things that we don't know about but at the same time it's like should have they been more upfront and honest about what the movie that they were giving in like marketing to draw like a certain audience in like well, I mean I don't know what do you think like should have they was it good that they like kind of withheld a lot or should have they been like well, my personal opinion is that I I like to be surprised. For sure, yeah. <laughs> I like it when the trailer doesn't give me everything. I hate it when you go see a film and you're like, oh, well, that was really just a long version of the trailer. True, yeah. All the good parts you put in, mm-hmm. you know. I So I, it doesn't bother me the way that the film was marketed, you know, and I've seen the trailer for this and it, it, it does not bother me personally that they didn't give a lot of that away. I love it. I, I definitely don't, maybe I, not necessarily that they give things away, but it's like, it definitely kind of seems like everyone, certain people, it's the same thing with kind of drive. Sure. But they yeah. go in thinking it's going to be this kind of like action movie, but sure. it's a well, I, I think mm. the, the marketing for drive was a little bit more manipulative than True. this yeah. film. <laughs> um, you know, it did drive the, the, promos kind of made it look like it was going to be like a fast and the furious kind of actiony type film and and while there were like those parts that's not the whole like uh, the majority no. of the film is not that um which i loved again i was like oh that's yeah. way better than i thought i'm glad that it wasn't this kind of like crazy fast and the furious thing but mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and what i really love is how kind of there was this one moment in the movie that I didn't really, I didn't realize the other, this is the third time I've seen it. I didn't realize it when right before they're doing the first uh, bank robbery, like the night before they're planning it out. And Ben Mendelsohn's like, all right, so you go. And then right when you get out, I'll be waiting in the truck four blocks away. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Gosling's like, well, what if you do What if a cop comes up? Hey, what are you doing with the truck? Like on the side, he's like, oh, I just broken down repairs. Uh, have a nice day, officer. And Ryan Gosling's like, that's a nice touch. That's I a like nice that. touch. And he's, and he's like, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, that was kind of like a moment where it's like, okay, they're they're kind of idiots, but they're also not. Like, they're like they're they're yeah. pretty well, like, they, they planned out that pretty well. But that was kind of a moment where it was like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? I really love the interactions between those two characters because... I feel like especially for Luke's character, he tends to like open up with Robin. He isn't quite as guarded as he is with everyone else that he interacts with in the film. Uh, and I think it's really kind of amazing. Like very quickly, they forge this friendship and, you know, they're kind of like kindred spirits. And even though ultimately they're kind of diametrically opposed, they're on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum personality wise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have this kind of like soul connection between them and I think that it's really it's a fun interaction to watch as an audience I love the scenes that they're together it also it kind of gives off this impression that you think that Ben Mendelsohn would be in like less of it like just that when the when that first act is over you're yeah. like oh Ben Mendelsohn's not gonna be in it but I feel like every character like comes back in some way that's integral or they're just thrown into the story because the fact that and at the end of the first act when he tries to rob two banks and he's like messing all mm-hmm. like all this up that 
in the of its sense is a really great kind of like Icarus story mm-hmm. because like Ben Mendelsohn says the famous line if you're gonna ride like if you're gonna uh what is it What's ride like night lightning you're gonna crash, crash like, like thunder, thunder which yeah. is actually my least favorite part of the film yeah really <laughs> it's a it's little hokey a, but it's, I, it, like it's, it's so hokey i feel like you know but i feel it's the only part of the film that i'm like well uh-huh. it could be better yeah but, but like it, it is kind of like that it's like an icarus story and that he like flies so too close to the mm-hmm. sun because he gets so in his own head like we can do this and he wants to go rob two and he only robs one and tries to get away and that that scene is like it, it, it goes on for way too long, but it's so well done in the fact that it's like, oh, he's throwing the like the bag over because it has the glass. Yeah. And he's like, you know, throw it back over. And like, the woman can't throw it back over. And he doesn't have and his sunglasses. voice. I mean, mm. his voice is just so mm. panicked. He's getting like hysterical yeah, in this like, situation. And I love it because he's so cool the rest yeah. of the time. He's <laughs> yeah. always calm, even at the very end of that act you know when he's kind of resigned himself to getting caught he's calm like he's very very calm Uh he's like okay this is just this is what's happening i'm gonna make a phone call i'm gonna like you know Uh do the thing (laughs) maybe it's like those moments of adrenaline that really do bring him up and that's kind of like the integral part of his character but then he like you know and bradley cooper then is just thrown right in as this as avery cross is just this police officer who's chasing him Mm -hmm. and corners him in this house and that house scene is so good because it's like you see Avery Cross going like he's really trying to get to him it almost seems like he's get he's moving faster yeah. than when Gosling's just on the phone and I also for some reason forgot about this moment when he's on the phone he says to Eva Mendes I'm in big trouble just do me a favor and don't tell him about me and it's like oh wow like like I don't know like that it, it yeah. almost seems like okay there's gonna be more like it's such a good setup it's like where's yeah. that gonna go yeah. uh and then he uh, Ryan Gosling is shot by Bradley Cooper and he falls out and like when I saw that I was like what like, <laughs> and then and then they let you sit in it for like a little while they don't actually show you Ryan Gosling laying on the concrete until maybe a minute later you know mm-hmm. you, you kind of like you get to sit on what just happened and you're like what wait did he just get shot and fall out the window and then I remember the first time that I saw it and I was like oh they just killed off the main character. Yeah, like exactly. And we're fifty-two minutes into a hundred and forty-four minute film. <laughs> Where are we going now? Yeah, exactly. It's almost like the. I remember David Fincher was talking about when he first got the script for Seven. He was reading when John Doe gives himself up, and there was like so many more pages in the script. And he's like, "You can't do this. Like, this is against the rules. Like, what? Where, what's going to happen now?" And it's, yeah. but it's so well done. As much as I love Ryan Gosling, it's like I, I would love to see you know obviously just more of him, but like it works so well for that character and you don't know where it's going to go. It sets up mm-hmm. so much more. And I was, when I was thinking, like when I was watching that house scene, when, when Avery Cross comes up and he was going to enter the room, I was like, wait, does he shoot first? And he does. I forgot does. all about that. He I was like, oh wait, yes, he first. does. He shoots first. And then, then he falls out because I remember that was a big point later on, like halfway yeah. through when he, when he's being interrogated by the district attorney, you know, and they have this whole discourse about like, you know, what do you remember? I don't want you to change your story later. Like, because they're investigating him, you know, as a police officer. And so, you know, he he lies and says that, you know, Luke shot first. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think, and it does happen so quick in that scene. And I think on the first viewing, you may not have even like, 
picked it up. It does happen really fast. But again, like I've seen it so many times yeah. now that mm-hmm. like, I'm like, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, uh, one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this is that I said that these are kind of like three of their own separate short films. Mm-hmm. They each have their own kind of separate thesis point in that the first act is kind of about responsibility Mm -hmm. and like caring the second act is a very interesting moral quandary about law enforcement Mm -hmm. and then the third one is about is kind of like search for the truth but it's all comes together in this really great kind of idea of legacy and what you leave behind in the story that you tell because like brian gosling's story ends there and Bradley Cooper's story starts there. Right. And it goes on for so much more. And, like, he, you know, everyone sees him as a hero. And, you know, even he, and th- this is the one thing that I really love about his character, that if they didn't do this, I just wouldn't. It's, he's not really sure if he did the right thing. Like, he has so many, like, issues about it. You know, when he's talking to his wife in bed, and she's like, don't you think there's more to it? It's clear, like, his outburst is kind of just, it's like, just stop talking about it. It's clear that he does have issues with it yeah and when he's kind of sitting in like the psychiatrist's office and talking about how he had he can't look at his son because all he can think about is like that he killed some other child's father and like you know when he clearly like lied to the da about who shot first you can see it in his face like he almost gets defensive about his answer because he he knows that he didn't shoot first you know and so I think it's 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 almost like he does this one thing, the very start of his story, and we're kind of like, I mean, you're pushed right into it. It happens very quick. And then he spends the rest of the film, ultimately, you know, the rest of his life, trying to, like, make up for that one act, you know. Um, in all of his deeds going for- forward, you can see that he's really, like, he's he's really struggling with like okay do i do the easy thing or the right thing and i think that you know that's really the catalyst for the rest of the film even though the first act is kind of what gets us to that point this is a really really great bradley cooper performance so good it's and it's this is where he proves himself because yeah. before this you know he was on alias and he was doing the hangover movies yeah. this was his move that no one like and then later this year, he does Silver Linings Playbook in 2012, yeah, which is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. But this was the movie that was like clear transition. I'm a serious actor and I can do stuff. What I love about his performance in this is everything he does just feels so natural. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels super forced. Every reaction and line of dialogue he's doing feels like he not only means it, but is saying it in that moment. And I think that also has to do with the great direction of Derek C. in France and that it just feels like very spontaneous and every moment is in the moment with this yeah. story that we're going along we're not because he sets it up so well that we're not steps ahead no we think that we are but he just like no there's so much more that you don't know about yeah. and I, how familiar are you with the filmography of Derek C. in France not I mean yeah he hasn't done a whole lot really mm. like if you look at his kind of credits it's not a, a massive amount of films. Uh-uh. So, it's... I mean, I know I haven't seen Blue Valentine, but I have read a little bit about how he directed that um, and that he actually, like, had his actors, like, live in a house together and celebrate holidays and birthdays and, like, all of this stuff for, like, a, you know, month-long period before they started shooting so that they had this kind of, like, these memories of being a family together, which I think is really interesting method kind of way of... of 
making your characters feel together. I did not see Blue Valentine, but I saw his most recent movie, uh, The Light Between Oceans, which I was really excited about because yeah. I love Michael Fassbender uh-huh. and Alicia Vikander, and because it was like, oh, it's Derek St. France again. Let's go. And I, have you seen that movie? I haven't. I read it, the book. It's pretty slow. <laughs> it's like I was like I was like, oh, that seems like a really interesting uh-huh. premise, but it it, it kind of doesn't go like very much. I was like, this this is Derek St. France. Doesn't really seem yeah. like it. And, but like this movie, I like. I hope this isn't just lightning in a bottle. I hope he does so many more things. Like he has this one project that's been in development for a while called Metalhead, all about a metal drummer who loses his hearing. And I was like, that's great sound design. He's really good at that. Let's let's do it. And uh, but this movie is just he is like just at his complete apex. He is just going like all of his ideas are working and well with the story. And one of my favorite scenes in this movie just is proving that is that he he uses few shots for mm-hmm. scenes he has like maybe three or four but they're they go on for so long and they're used so well especially in those interrogation scenes when he's talking to the psychiatrist and it's just that side profile shot of bradley cooper for like 40 seconds and it's just like it almost feels like what i love especially about that second act a lot of it feels like bradley cooper is still under investigation especially by the audience yeah. because in that scene where it's just his side we're focusing on every single word that he says he's thinking about every word that he and says even every word that he doesn't say mm-hmm. he sits for so long in silence you know there is that side shot where you know you, it sits for a long time but then it cuts to a shot that's like a really really close shot to him and you get to see like there's tears in his eyes and he doesn't say anything else at that point and he just kind of he looks down and then he looks back up and then he looks down and he looks back up and you can see him like wrestling with this idea of like shame and guilt and all of the stuff that's going through his head like did I do the right thing and you get to, like I said you know you get to watch all these emotions wash over his face over a shot that's you know 30 seconds uh-huh. to you know 45 seconds i don't know how long it is it feels long when you're watching it because it's so uncomfortable yeah and this is also this part of the movie is it, it almost seems like it's i don't want to say inconsequential but different from the rest of the movie in that it's when we start to get a sense for the law enforcement in this mm-hmm. town with ray Liotta and uh his friend scotty and mm-hmm. it almost seems like it's like this seems like a completely different movie but i think my my uh like when when they're going through like you got to plant the evidence with the drugs and you got to do this with the evidence and he's trying to like bring it up but like yeah. the captain is like no you know you, what what are we going to do get this out of here the money like i side note when when my brother first watched this movie i watched it with him and he watched that scene where they go to Eva Mendez's house there was a long period of silence for like 3 minutes my brother just looked at me and he went this is horrible what they're doing is absolutely oh. awful Really owed a total trash bag oh, in this terrible. film. Terrible, <laughs> awful, but so good at oh, it. Oh, amazing! I mean, I love a good. <laughs> he Ray plays like the worst cop. Like it's so his performance is so good, and and he says so few lines. You know, he's really, you know, it, as far as as dialogue goes, he's a very kind of minor character. Has really few lines, but you know, he just he's in these scenes, and and he just commands these scenes just by his face you know it's amazing my favorite scene in the whole film is after um bradley cooper's character tries to turn him in and the police chief tells the character deluca you know this like and he's leaving the police station and you see that shot of them standing by the car watching him leave and then he he pulls bradley cooper's character over and he leans in but you only see this 
tiny sliver of his face, like not even his whole eyeball. Mm -hmm. And it is the most menacing. Yeah evil looking shot in the whole film and it's so good it's and again they just sit there Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god (laughs) that's what i know when i was watching yesterday i didn't it was Mm -hmm. like oh it's just right there just that little corner you keep thinking he's gonna like come around like a little bit but no he stays it's just that point and then like they just have this little really quick conversation and then he just leaves and it's like Bradley Cooper is really the only it almost seems like is Bradley Cooper the only good cop in this town because it like from what we see he's really the only one but what I do like is that it fits in with that everyone in this movie like to be very kind of general is that everyone in this movie seems like an anti-hero and that no one is kind of crystal clean everyone is kind of uh everyone has their issues and everyone has their mistakes that they make and like kind of bad things. So like Bradley Cooper says that he shot first, but he has issues with it. That's what makes us like, like him. And obviously Ryan Gosling goes on this whole bank heist scene and then his son, you know, stealing drugs. Um, but wanting to find out who his dad was and getting in with the wrong person, everyone seems like you, it's, I, I don't want to have anyone say all of the characters are bad people in this movie because I feel like there's that's not what you're they're not they're they're human yeah they're human that you're they're supposed to relatable. focus on yeah. they're you know while they're kind of in these extreme circumstances you know everyone has those moments in life where they have to wrestle with an issue and make a really important decision or face the consequences to a decision that they have made and I think that that's what makes a truly great character not these kind of like outlandish like crazy characters that are easy to pinpoint and and say oh he's a bad guy or he's a good guy because it's not that cut and dry in real life and i think that that's what makes this film feel really personal um you know those are the best characters in my opinion absolutely and you know bradley cooper ends up you know turning all of these guys in And again, he still, after everything he witnessed, after seeing them go into this, to Eva Mendez's house and taking the money from them and uh, him trying to give it back and them having him plant, like take evidence away and all of this horrible stuff that's in the police department and that he righted the wrong, he knows like there's something in him that it's just like, I don't know about it because there's that great shot right before the second act ends where it just holds on him when he's watching TV and his dad just pats him on the shoulder. He's like, it's going to be all right. And then he walks away and he's just looking at his hands and then cut. But even like in his moment of like, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to turn these guys in and whatever. He uses it to advance his career. Like he uses it as like a point of manipulation to get the job that he wants. You know, he's been a cop for like six months or whatever they say. And now he's like basically forcing their hand and making them give him a position that he definitely doesn't deserve at that point Mm -hmm. you know so he even even in his moment of like oh i'm gonna do the right moral thing he still makes kind of like a bad choice yeah he does and but i guess i never really thought about that but that is definitely true because he wants to go for it he wants to go for Mm -hmm. second uh district attorney uh, assistant or assistant district attorney assistant district yeah. attorney and then he's running for attorney general in, in the, the third fifth, act in yeah. the third mm-hmm. act but it i don't know there's just something about it i think that that's the really great strength of this movie or at least one of them is that the fact that we're talking about this and thinking about it like this is that it's well written yeah and there's a lot of gray area that's that makes us think not only about them, but also about ourselves really well. And I, I can't necessarily see myself being like, 
I see myself in this person or I see myself in this person. But I understand all of them. And I don't know, good character building like this is kind of like one of the things that I just love about movies in mm-hmm. general. The la- One of the uh, most recent episodes that we did was on Alien and how that movie is just he- like held up because of its characters. Um, I mean, where does character development lie in the like um, in kind of your love of film? Like, how does that add to the experience for you? So, I mean, a lot of the film that I'm interested in is experimental and avant-garde. You know, I it's a lot of the film that I make personally is that style. Um, so for me, character development is not the foremost thing in my mind when I'm watching a film. And I often find that, like, especially in more you know, major Hollywood productions, you either get character development or you get a stylistically beautiful film and you very rarely kind of get both of those things well done in a film and that's one of the reasons that i love this movie is that i think that you get both of those in spades in this film you get this like kind of gritty deep character development that makes you feel for the characters and makes you step into their world for a little while and and it's so entertaining to watch for the emotional reasons but then on top it's just the stunningly gorgeous work of cinematography and then great sound design on top of it and it's like all those things so for me character development isn't necessarily the the most important thing but i do like it (laughs) (laughs) when when it's good yeah Let's take a quick break to talk about Dingles and Donuts, Orion Valley Productions' very own Real Play D&D podcast. The third and final part of our Season 2 finale will be uploaded on our website and all streaming platforms on August 2nd. The first two parts are available to listen to now on our website, orionvalleyproductions.com, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Caster, wherever you get your podcasts. Go check them out. Like I said before, we're all very proud of it, and it is a lot of fun. So go check out the first two parts if you haven't already, and get ready on August 2nd for the finale of Season 2 of Dingles and Donuts. It's going to be wild. All right? Back to the episode. Let's talk about Let's talk about the third act, which... I know I said that the first act might be one of the best short films, but this might be, this is, in my opinion, like maybe top 10 best final acts of a movie. I think that this third act is does such a good job of bringing it all yeah. together and having you answer the questions about it in your head without mm-hmm. explicitly stating them in the movie. It definitely leaves, there's breadcrumbs all throughout and leads you to this really great um, ending. It's 15 years later. And Bradley Cooper is running for attorney general, but it's not the the focus isn't on him. You kind of think that it is at first because it's like, oh, Rose Byrne and him are divorced. And, um, you know, he's now running for attorney general. Is that what we're going to be focusing on now? Like, is he going to be doing stuff more in the political campaign? Like, what's Mm what's going to happen now? But no, the focus is on uh, his son, AJ, who's a 15 year old son, his son, who is moving uh, from Troy, New York to uh, Schenectady to live with him. And gets in uh, Schenectady High School and immediately makes friends with um, Jason, uh, Ryan Gosling's son, played by um, Dane DeHaan. Did you know when you first watched this that it was his son? Like immediately were like, that's his son. It had... Um, I think the first time I realized is when they decide to cut class and go to the park and he's riding a bike. And then I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, it was such a clear 
parallel between those two characters mm-hmm. that um, I think that was when I noticed it. Not immediately when he like sat down at the lunch table, but pretty pretty shortly after that. For me, it's in that scene, but it's when he says, um, "What does he say?" Oh, he says something my, about my dad's my dad. And... My dad died in like a car accident. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, "Okay, it's got to be him." <laughs> but even though you kind of have this idea, you 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 know, and that's not a fault. The journey of him discovering right because really they well don't done. know they have no idea what the connection is and I think it's funny because it's like he doesn't even realize you know after even he finds out who who his father is and the name of the cop that killed him he's reading all these like news articles he's got to see the name of of Avery Cross in there somewhere uh-huh. he still doesn't put it together that his friend AJ at school is the son of the guy who shot his father. <laughs> And it, I, I guess it, could that be a flaw in that? Like, did did AJ never tell him his last name? I think it's possible. I don't think that they're great friends. Probably I think not. that they're friends of convenience because True. they're both kind of. I don't want to say outcast, but you know, clearly don't fit in with the rest of the people around them. Yeah, and so I think it's more a friendship of convenience rather than like a really close kind of yeah. bond you know not necessarily like oh we're gonna like you know i'm gonna meet your family and i'm gonna come over for family dinners and mm. you know do that kind of thing and also maybe this is like maybe this isn't something to like really focus on but the fact that like aj is like completely different from his mom and his dad and that they're yeah. they seem like they're very like you know mm-hmm. kind of middle like upper middle class people very seeming like affluent and well-spoken and he's this kind of like he they even say that line he's like you seem like you're from like long island or something like that he's like this like (laughs) punk with this really thick weird italian new york accent yeah and i don't know if that's his real accent but that for me is probably the biggest issue with this movie his accent gets to the point where it's almost annoying for Uh, me personally well i don't know if that's his real if that's how he actually talks or not i don't know because i don't think i've ever seen him in anything i haven't seen him in anything else either um but for me it's like I knew people like that in <laughs> high school. I <laughs> I knew people like that that spoke that way and dressed that way and acted that way, even though they're from Binghamton. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that actually feels really authentic. It's like he's clearly trying to portray a certain yeah. type of, of image that he's not. You know, he's from mm-hmm. Troy. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. No, that that's fair. And it, it, Dane DeHaan's performance makes up for it. I love Dane DeHaan. This is right before, or this is this before or after Chronicle? I think it was the same year as I think Chronicle. It was before. I mean, this was really, I think, the first film that he kind of put him on the map. You know, mm-hmm. he had done, I looked at his IMDb page, he had done some smaller parts like before this, but I think this was really the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, and what is an extraordinary performance. He's so he's good. So good. Yeah. And I was a big fan of him when I saw Chronicle, and I saw this mm-hmm. after I saw Chronicle, and I was I, I loved him ever since. I was like, I gotta see what this guy does. I, I don't think he's hit a bigger height than when he did Chronicle and this, because back to back the performances are just so good at characters that are like and there's a lot of similarities in them and that they're both both the characters are outcasts and that they have some form of um you care for them, but they make they make mistakes, and they kind of have some. They have a darker side to them in in a way, like to put it again, to put it um, generally. But it, it, I love that he's still trying to figure out. He wants to know who his who his dad is, and that um, he's asking his 
uh, he's asking his mom about it. And he's like, you know, who's who was he? And then she, you know, just kind of walks away. That scene at the dinner table mm-hmm. where like they're just having normal dinner conversation, like talking to his little sister and whatever. And then he just turns to her and he's like, so who is my dad? <laughs> yeah. And her her face just drops and the color drains from her face. And she's just like sitting there, sitting on this conversation. And then, you know, she storms away. And it's I love that interaction Mm -hmm. because it's like she clearly did not see that coming. Like what brought this up all of a sudden? And then the whole interaction with um, Mahershala Ali at the ice cream stand where the picture was taken, you know, and it's so funny because. Ryan Gosling and Ava Mendes had had that whole conversation about like, I want him to like, I want to give him ice cream. I want him to every time he has ice cream, I want him to like think of mm-hmm. me. And then he has that conversation, third yeah. act. And, you know, he's having this conversation about who is my dad and whatever. And they're sitting there eating ice cream. And mm-hmm. I think it's such this beautiful, really small connection that yeah. I just think is like one of those little breadcrumbs that. Yeah. Really great thematic image that comes back. Um, do you think that Eva Mendes' character didn't didn't want to tell him because of the actual events that happened and that she didn't... Did she regret those times with him? Or do you think that she was actually keeping the promise and that she, he said, I can't... I don't want to tell him because he said that he didn't want him to know? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I think ultimately she really loved and cared for Luke but it was such a complicated situation and he was such a kind of volatile unpredictable character that you know for the sake of her family it's like even though she like she couldn't be with him mm-hmm. you know it wasn't a, a, a good idea for her to be with him I think had she not had a son with him would she have continued to pursue relationship with him i don't know did she this is also a question that wasn't super clear to me did she cheat on mahershali with ryan gosling because there's that scene right yes. before they go to the, the she okay yeah that's what I they're, they're, they're laying, laying in bed, bed naked yeah. together even though mm-hmm. you, you'd barely see it but again that scene is so it's framed so well and he's talking about you know they're talking about like what his favorite foods are and stuff. And he says something about like the ice cream and off like on the, just in the very corner of the screen, she's facing away from him and she starts to tear up and she is like having this breakdown and he's just totally oblivious. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't even know it's happening. And she's going through this really like kind of real emotional distress. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you think she went back to him because of those like memories of the past? And then like, okay, we, he's back in town and it kind of made like he is caring for it's like his child is that why like she went back and wanted to have those memories or i i I guess that was like my and they don't they don't need to necessarily explain it but it left a couple questions in my head Mm -hmm. is like why did she cheat on mahershala ali to go back with him is because he was so caring and wanted to be there for him and mahershala ali like wasn't the like the father per se like i i I I mean she's she slept with him in the first place mm-hmm. so there must there's obviously some sort of attraction true between mm-hmm. them so i think it's possible that like you know she's like oh well if there's a chance that this could work maybe i should be with him mm-hmm. but then again it's like and then he he kind of has these like explosions of yeah. anger i mean he hits Marsha ali with a wrench yeah. you know <laughs> and then she's like okay this isn't gonna work yeah um, You're crazy. But again, I think that it's the same thing where like yeah. she 
had like she made quote unquote like a mistake and that's like something where we would kind of be like oh that was bad that she did that but it's like she's such she cares for her kids and like that is like how caring of a mother that she is is what like is continually what keeps me on board with her every scene that she's in because she's not in like when you think about it she's not really the focal point Mm -hmm. of any bigger portions of the movie she's she's there but every time she's there she's like you know she cares more about her kids than literally anything Mm -hmm. else and uh, that was one thing because when I was watching it, I was like, "Okay, I want to think more about the, the Eva Mendes's character," and it just fits in with um, everyone else. Um, so I think Mahershala Ali's character too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like one of the few characters in the film that I feel like doesn't do some really terrible stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's just there, and he's got to like know that something's going on between you know. Eva Mendes and Ryan Gosling. He, he's got to know that something is happening because this guy just shows up and comes in the house and she, you know, doesn't come home after work or whatever. So for him to still be willing to be present and be a father figure and, you know, all of those things, I think he's a really, like, good, good character amongst oh, yeah. all these other people that are kind of doing no, yeah. terrible things. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the same with, like... <laughs> It, it, he he kind of has a similar thing in this movie that he did when I saw him in Moonlight and that I always like every time I see Mahershali in these two movies it's like I, I would love if he was my dad such a great dad I love like especially in Moonlight he has he's in that movie for like 20 minutes and he is so good like he, he's just such a good like it, he's always so well spoken and knows exactly what to say and is so caring and just and he's honest too like he mean and it, he said, like, even in that scene at the ice cream shop, he's like, you know, it's her. She has to tell you. It's like, it's her thing. It's not like my business to say. And but it's it's just like it's it's like a friendship right like there. And again, he is kind of like that that character who is kind of grounded more in reality and more of a person or and like more of um the like the good guy mm-hmm. in the rest of this. That is very easy and just instant like to connect to. Sure. Um, always love Mahershala Ali. Yeah. Um. It's interesting that like I, the friendship of AJ and Jason forms really quickly, and not, that that's not not to say that that's a flaw. It's like it has to in the third act. It's like we have other things to get to, but they have to become friends quickly. Mm-hmm. And you do believe their 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 friendship and that they they go out, they're they're getting high, they score ecstasy together, and then they get put in that they get instantly arrested. And I, I actually kind of like that scene. It made me laugh a little bit. Not like it was unintentionally funny but it was the scene when they do get arrested and then they're just kind of looking at us like oh it's the 5-0 oh no and then they start <laughs> i was like why didn't you run a little bit earlier like all right um but there's the, that other great scene when avery comes back and he gets in the room with aj and he cuts the mic yeah. he gets like right in his face he's like choking him yeah. he's like and he's you like know. you don't touch you do not go near that kid and again it just holds on it which then i mean of course you tell a teenager not to do something and they're gonna go do it yeah yeah, yeah. of course so you know that that exacerbates his kind of interest in jason's character you know i think he i think aj finds someone that he feels like he can manipulate pretty easily um and then you know that kind of exacerbates that whole scenario Mm -hmm. that that scene actually brings up a question i'm going to pose at the end of when we're when we talk about the ending so we'll we'll come back to that in a second um but there's that there's that house party and this is where all of the information is starting to come together Mm -hmm. um it's clear that also 
Jason kind of has some form of emotional outburst when they talk when his family is brought up because it's a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. And there's that house party where he comes back and it's he like it's like okay maybe everything's fine. He steals the oxycodone and uh, he's going up the stairs and he sees the photo of Avery and, and that was a moment when I first watched it in class. I was like, oh, he knows like now he knows and it was just like oh my gosh and it. And then he can't even focus on anything else. He has to, he like, goes and confronts Avery, and they get into, like, a fist fight to AJ, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, now it's, like, it's all coming back. It's, like, it's all of these outbursts about family mm-hmm. and love, and it's... I always just love that scene and how it gives you information. It, it doesn't treat its audience... Um, like the like we don't like what like that we're dumb it forces us to think about things and put the pieces together and gives information when it's needed and when it feels natural Mm -hmm. because if they just gave it to us just outright in like a exposition monologue it 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 wouldn't have worked it makes sense he's going up the stairs and he sees a picture that makes total sense that it would work that way yeah and i and then it takes him a little while to even kind of process he's he's going upstairs with a girl they go into a bedroom she's trying to like take his clothes off and he is like super high at this point you know he's taking like oxys and drinking some kind of liquor and mm. you know so he's pretty messed up and it takes him like a minute to really kind of process what he just saw and figure out what his next move is going to be. You know, it. I love watching that whole, that whole scene play out. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. and the, the sound design in that particular scene is also. Yeah. The loud. The, it's yeah. Like, loud when he starts taking noises, the drugs, yeah. but then it becomes like, it like drops, like the bass level drops a little bit and it becomes this kind of like boomy, like disorienting. Like if you've ever been really, really drunk and you're just like, it makes you feel dizzy. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of also due to the editing, really great mm-hmm. editing of the party scene. And this this movie also has really good use of cross dissolves. Mm-hmm. I think it's done really well. They kind of like have you hold on someone as they're thinking and then it moves into another scene as opposed to just straight cutting it. It kind of makes things flow a little bit better um, mm-hmm. on the technical aspect. And it, it, yeah, used really well. Um, but uh, Jason comes back and he has a gun and he's t- like threatens AJ to get on the ground, but then Avery just happens to come back at that right time because he was out of town, and they take him back to the the, the place spot. beyond the where, spot yeah, where it where, all happened. Where, where Ray Liotta tried to take him mm-hmm. in Act 2, you know, because he was, I don't know if he's going to off him or beat him up or threaten him or whatever he was going to do, but Avery didn't stick around long enough to find out. You know, he kind of pieced out of there, and, you know, they go back to that that one place it's kind of like the place of reckoning almost Mm. that that brings me to like kind of that's the thing about the title is that 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 spot comes up in various like Mm -hmm. at least at one point in each act in the first act it's where you know we meet ben mendelson's character and the second act's where ray liotta takes bradley cooper and then the third act it's where um jason takes avery so it's like why like and i've always been so fascinated by titles the place beyond the pines so such a good title what does this place have like why is that the encapsulation of the movie it's always seemed like it's this place where everything comes to a head or like fun fun fact Mm -hmm. uh schenectady is the native american word for the place beyond the pines oh 
So I did not know that. <laughs> so it takes place in Schenectady. It was oh, all filmed okay. in Schenectady. So it's like a literal translation mm-hmm. of that word. So ah. I think that they used that kind of as a thing. And and also that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy this film too is that it feels so new york (laughs) and not like new york city i mean like you know like upstate capital region and i feel like we don't get to see that in a lot of films Mm -hmm. or if you do even if it takes place it wasn't shot in upstate new york so it doesn't it doesn't have that look like this film looks like my summers my childhood summers Mm -hmm. to me it looks like every small town in upstate or the capital region you know they all look have that look to them yeah and they really kind of embraced this tiny town and and used it as not only a plot point but almost like a character in the film oh yeah absolutely the only like uh, the only other movie that i can think of that was filmed in you know kind of upstate new york and where like it looks like and is done really well is um have you seen buffalo 66 yes i love buffalo 66 and that's a good one because it was filmed entirely in buffalo mm-hmm. where the main where vincent castle grew up and it just it looks it's like i know those streets i i've like lived in areas just like that i mean i'm not from buffalo but it like it it, it just seems like a place that you know especially yeah. being from you know binghamton and like also and i don't want to jump ahead a little bit but in the ending in that area where he goes to um to get the bike that looks like like when it was falling. That last shot, it's like... it's amazing. But like that area is like I. Not only do I live around there, we watched this movie in the fall semester, and right when you walk out of Broom at Titchener Hall, it's like it's the same scenery. <laughs> it just looks exactly like it. They yeah. use location so well, yeah. and um, I, I also feel like in, to look at it in a literal sense. I mean, the place beyond the pines it just feels like this. It adds another layer of secrecy to it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like. And this is one thing that I really love about this movie is that it, and if it's the one thing that I think, well, I'm going to save it for a second because I want to talk about the very last shot. It's so good in that, you know, he, after Jason is like, you know, with Avery and he's like letting all of it out, he takes his wallet and he runs and it's a really great emotional performance by Bradley Cooper. He gets the attorney general job and AJ has this look on his face that he's just like, um, he, he has, some, there's some kind of curiosity or confusion in his face when he's like on the stage with his dad. And then Jason goes to get the bike and he rolls it out. And I love that scene because it's far away. There's no sound. It just, you see him roll the bike out and then he buys it and then he just goes off. Um, and I think that there's a couple things that th- that those last few minutes do for me that I didn't really realize after I until after I watched it this time. One, um, first of all, this is where my love of the artist Boney Bear comes from because the woods plays at the end of it. Really great use, and they hold on that shot of him just going away for so long. Well, and it's the first time in the film that a character kind of like rides out of scene. Mm-hmm. Every other scene where someone's on a bike. We're in a car. We follow them. You know, we have those amazing, like, crane shots, like, following behind the characters while they're driving on the road. And this is the final scene, and he just he just leaves the frame. Mm-hmm. You know? And he has kind of, like, he's kind of the continuation of Ryan Gosling's character in that he has the arc. Like, he mm-hmm. kind of finishes the arc, and everyone else is kind of left in what's going to happen next. I mean, he, Jason also has, like, that area, but you at least know he has, he's at peace, you know? Um, and the one question that I had when I was writing this or when I was watching this is that that shot of AJ when he's on the stage, he's kind of looking at his dad and he's like, hmm, he's like, there's, there's something going on in his head. It feels like, and then Jason rides away 
And my question is, and then it brings back to when he's in the interrogation room and, um, you know, he's like yelling at his son. Is another thing about the bond between AJ and Jason, do you think it had something to do with the fact that they weren't being raised by necessarily the best parents for them because I feel like says they both come from very interesting family relationships AJ comes from a family of divorced parents and he's living with his dad who seems who, who he says in there he's like I know nothing about him I don't know him and he's so focused on his work and then Jason comes from a family who um, there's a lot of secrecy about his biological dad and he feels like he would be at peace with knowing who his dad is and they don't give him that information. Do you think that was another thing about the bond in them? Because at the end, it seems like I kind of had this question of like, is AJ better off with Bradley Cooper's character? Like, is that where that where he should be? Do you think that that is another layer to the film? I don't know about better or worse, but I think, I mean, he just had this kind of like near-death experience. I mean, mm-hmm. he was threatened at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that might, especially for a young person, might be enough to give someone a whole new perspective or or level of respect for mm-hmm. his father that maybe he didn't have prior to that. Um, but I think I think the rift is is pretty clear between... Avery and AJ for the whole film and I think it starts with you know when he says that he can't even look at his son I think that there's always been this disconnect that's kind of hung through their whole lives um whether or not he'd be better off I don't know because Rose Byrne's character also seems very kind of distant from the Mm -hmm. whole situation I mean she's pretty quick to like get rid of him too you know she's like you gotta take him yeah do you well do you think that 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 there is some resolution in that. Do you think that Bradley Cooper did tell his son at that point what happened that him pleading in the woods is like that he wanted that all he cared about was to make sure that his son was all right. Is that completing that arc? And does that fit in with this other idea of like our worst moments or the scariest moments in our lives where we're pushed to the brink actually show not only who we are as a character, but make us more human because if had he had Bradley Cooper not have been pushed out there at his like absolute worst moment where he thought he was going to die, maybe that wouldn't have necessarily the relationship with the son maybe sure. wouldn't have changed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of like an interesting thing that all of these characters have these moments of of horror and dread and almost you know the moral quandary, but it kind of makes them better in some way. Better or but, or better or worse. More appreciative uh-huh. or. Uh, different layer of understanding that they couldn't couldn't have possibly had for each other prior to that for whatever reason yeah Yeah, i don't i I don't know i just think that i don't know there's a i think i think for jason too you know that moment where he's in the woods and he's really contemplating what he's gonna do and it's like all right he knows now about his father's history so is he going to follow in his father's footsteps or is he going to choose a different path you know and i don't know i think i think that whole end the last five minutes of this film is so it poses more questions i think than (laughs) it answers even though it does feel really resolved at least Mm -hmm. for me i feel like this film feels resolved oh no i definitely agree Um, yeah i guess these were just some questions i was thinking of like how does it all tie together um but i do love that it lingers on that area where like Jason just drives away and it holds on that area of the empty road for like 
20 extra seconds before it cuts and it was i remember when i saw it, it was like it was just so impactful because the music choice is great love yeah. good music choice and uh and it like it just is like I, it kind of feels more at peace because now he's going off and yeah. i love a good ambiguous but also hopeful ending it's not super clear but it gives you this kind of sense of yes it's revolu- resolution but it's hopeful um and I just that's it's such a really really good ending, and it, I, it was all that I really wanted. You know, I think that a movie like this doesn't work without a good ending like that. Right. I think if they they had they set up so much, had this such a big structure with the three acts that if they didn't stick the landing, I think it it kind of would have been all for nothing. Well, there are, I mean there are endings throughout the whole film. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. <laughs> to not give like some kind of real ending at the actual end of the film would mm. be pretty terrible (laughs) absolutely i think um so here's so here's our big question for this movie okay um as i said we kind of want to have this discussion about why we love not only the movie that we're talking about but why we love movies in general and i want to my question for you is you said you're very interested in kind of avant-garde cinema Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't say this movie falls into that category. So what is it about this movie in particular that kind of adds for your love of movies and it, it fits into the greater category of why you love the art form? Yeah, I wouldn't classify this film as avant-garde or experimental necessarily, but it does not necessarily fit into the category of traditional mainstream filmmaking and the way that they tell stories. Um, So it is kind of this kind of in between those two things. And I love that. You know, the first, I decided that I was going to be a filmmaker when I was like 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first... That's about when I wanted to be one. Too, yeah. <laughs> the film that I saw was uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse, which. Oh, right. I remember you talking yeah, about that movie. Which, yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's really excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a 12 year old watching a film about a 12 year old that wasn't like a Disney movie and it wasn't about a princess and it wasn't happy. It's this kind of really cruel intense film about like a 12 year old girl who's kind of like an outcast and really weird and her family is really messed up and all this stuff and I remember seeing that film and thinking wow I didn't know you could tell stories like that I didn't know that that kind of film existed I didn't know that it was like okay to make films like that and that really just changed my perspective and I was like oh that's that's what I want to do and So I think that those films that tell real stories, real, you know, or things that are are relatable, like I said, I think that while not everyone is faced with the challenges of, you know, perhaps robbing a bank and being (laughs) caught and all that, you know, we all struggle with these things, these challenges that kind of seem bigger than us in our lives and, and making those decisions, making those moral decisions and, I, I think that telling those kinds of stories is really interesting and I I have always found them really powerful and to me they're more attractive than you know the big blockbuster things I you know I don't <laughs> those to me are very um they're not relatable to me I don't love superhero films that might no that's that's totally fair no <laughs> <laughs> um so you know it's like I think it's this kind of perfect balance of 
telling a really good story, but doing it in a way that's kind of off the beaten path from mainstream filmmaking and also just really incredibly beautiful to watch. It's like this visual poetry happening, which I think is great. That's a really... Sorry, uh, that was a really no, long no, kind of no, all over the place answer. <laughs> I prefer that than to, I like it, you know, <laughs> um, which I've had before and it's difficult. Um, it's really hard to nail down because I think in general, I like more film than I dislike, you know, no, no, because that's even, good. even bad have, yeah. films, I feel like I can f- either see some merit in them or understand what the person was trying to do. And having been on the other side of it, I understand the challenges and like nobody sets out to make a shitty film. Mm -mm. Like (laughs) most people, I think sincerely try and try really hard and whether or not those things work out for them is, you know, that's to be determined. But I think, you know, like I said, I, there are a lot more films that I like than I dislike. And so it's really hard for me to nail down and say like, oh, I, I love this type of film, but I don't love this type of film. Mm-hmm. You know, horror is one of those genres that's really hard for me to work through. I I have a hard time with gore and um, being scared. But I'm recently I've been trying to work through some of those issues because I really I can appreciate them for what they're doing and they're super effective I mean clearly they're effective if they scare the crap out of me and give me terrible dreams for weeks afterwards like they're doing something well whatever that thing is so you know I think it's it's so hard for me to pinpoint what I love about films you know and I don't know. It's just, it's one of the most fascinating mediums for art, I think. There's so many different things that can be done, and that's why we have so many different genres and styles, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I love about this movie, and uh, from a from a technical aspect it's there's so many things it's like how did they do that and like i want to be able to do something like that and uh i love surprises i love a movie that subverts my expectations because i wasn't sure how to feel going into the movie um and just as it plays out it's so well paced and it, it it constantly makes me think about what's happening and it makes me feel in the moment and that's what i love but there are there are a couple of things that i wanted to point out of I have this thing that I made up called the hidden movie principle. And it's not about movies that are necessarily overlooked or unseen. Because, I mean, we talk about how underrated this movie is. but And if I don't explain this well, I'm sorry. But the, the best way that I can describe this is that there are movies that fe- have this feeling to them. That as the story plays out, it feels like it's so kind of... Um, contained in that it feels like it's going on when everything else in the world is going on it's like in the midst of everything else that's going on in the world or this world that sets up there's this story mm-hmm. that feels like there's this secret quality about it and the a textbook example of this for me will always be call me by your name mm-hmm. and that when i saw that movie it felt like a, a best way to describe it is that if if i were to go into like that house call me by your name was like at or like that story happened i could go in there and be like there's a story here there was something happened here in the past and it just feels so secretive and this is another example of that and that the locations and the way that the story plays out is that this isn't a story that feels like everyone knows about or that in this world this story is so small but it feels like if i went to that trailer where you know robin was or i went you know, out to the place beyond the pines, it feels like something happened here. And if that makes sense at all, but like, that's something that I've recently discovered that I love about movies is that 
it feels special to the viewer mm-hmm. that you are in a moment where you can watch something and you feel like you're a part of it. And it's only a select number of people who are a part of it. And it's it's you and the characters. And you may not be necessarily moving the story around, but you're just there and you feel like I'm a part of something that's happening. It's like you're privy to some kind of secret information. Yeah. You're allowed to like observe these really intensely intimate and private and emotional moments in these characters lives and the performances are so convincing that you're like these are real people yeah like i'm really like watching someone go through this but the overall plot while it seems it's all the events are really important to our characters and really kind of monumental in their lives in the grand scheme of things they're not you know it's not like oh the world is ending and we have to save it Mm -hmm. it's like their world might feel like it's ending but in in the larger picture it's just this kind of tiny little insignificant you could even consider it like you know the lives of of what like a handful of people is rather insignificant when you think about the whole world so i do think it is kind of like that the hidden movie it's uh-huh. like it's it's small but also large at the same time and i get how what you mean it's hard to describe and it also, this is, uh, I think, my last point is that it feels like, although it's made on a small scale and uh, seeming, uh, it, it feels epic. It's an epic movie. It's, I mean, it's an independent movie. It has bigger names in it, but it feels like because of the fact that it sets up this three-act structure and how big this story is, it feels like each moment, each story beat has real consequences to the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And it continuously builds and sets up this grander story that teaches us something about legacy and what we're known for and um, who, like what we're supposed to be, rem- what we're going to be remembered for, how the small moments or like a few number of moments may actually define the rest of our lives. Um, but there's so much more to it. And for like, there's a lot of emotional things about there about like consideration for those that you don't know and that there's so much more that we don't know that's going on. There's a lot of themes in here that are working so well together that might seem like they're conflicted and that these, the, like the emotional aspects are that the fact that we can be pushed to our limits and it all comes together so well, it feels so cohesive and it makes it a ride that is so interesting to watch that you can come back and f- find something new like every time I feel like. Yeah. And yeah. 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 That's great. <laughs> I don't need to say it anymore. But yeah, it's to me, this film is, is poetry really. It's, it's the way that it's cut, the way that it's structured. It's, you know, it, it flows so well. And the way the cuts happen at certain beats, it's like, I feel like every cut in this film is at the exact right moment. And I don't, usually feel that way watching films i always feel like oh i wish that they didn't let that hang quite so long or i wish that i got to see a little bit more of that i always feel like there's a cut or two that i don't like and i I think in this film there's not a single cut that i'm like oh i wish that they had done that different it's all it all just falls into the right place i feel like absolutely um do you have any more final points or I, I have everything. No, I think we talked. For uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Alyssa. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. 
All right, that's it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Thanks so much to Alyssa Micha. It was wonderful to have this conversation with her. Um, I knew if I was going to talk about this movie with anybody, it had to be her, and I'm so happy that she chose this. It was a really, really great conversation. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. This podcast was produced by Sullivan Harris, who also made the lovely new cover art and all the beautiful thumbnails you see. If you like this and other episodes of Frankly, I Love Movies, you can subscribe, leave a comment, a rating, whatever you like, and then you can go follow us on any social media, at Frankly Podcast on Twitter, Frankly, I Love Movies on Facebook, and you can follow me at Josh Josh on Instagram if you'd like for more updates on what's going on with me, and I'll also be posting some stuff about the show. And other than that, stay tuned in two weeks for another episode talking about a special movie with a special guest. And until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies.